Many of us spend our days feeling like we're the only one with problems while everyone else has their act together, but the sooner we realize that everyone struggles like we do, the sooner we can show grace to ourselves and others. This is the Amazon.com description that I just read for the book Low Anthropology, The Unlikely Key to Having a Gracious View of Others by David Zoll. Uh, David Zoll, uh, the author of this book, uh, this book which Publishers Weekly calls a lighthearted yet high-minded exploration of failure's ability to serve as a gateway to grace. Readers will find this a balm, unquote. David, uh, we're happy to announce, is the guest on this podcast episode, and so I know our listeners are going to be very excited uh, to hear this conversation. Uh, Dave's going to get into why he wrote this book. Uh, He's going to talk a little bit about the book without, of course, spoiling it too much, as well as talking about his uh, work in ministry with Mockingbird. Uh, We've had guests from Mockingbird Ministries on this podcast before. It's a ministry that uh, Doth Protest very much supports. We're going to hear more about that, as well as with Dave's work in ministry uh, at his home, Parish Church of Christ Episcopal in Charlottesville, North Carolina. So um, in this episode, you will have heard us briefly refer to something that's happened in my life. And uh, I'm Reverend Andrew, by the way. I know we have different hosts on the show, me, Charlie, James, and Stephen. But um, uh, in our longtime listeners can usually recognize, you know, whose voice is whose. But this is Andrew, to clarify. And um, I have recently accepted a call to serve as rector of St. Michael and All Angels Episcopal Church in uh, Lake Charles, Louisiana. Something I'm very excited about. Um, something on, you know, upon meeting uh, the vestry and uh, the people and having conversation with them and exploring this, that this is indeed uh, God's calling uh, for me to go there. Rachel and I be, will be moving in the next few months. And so we are very excited about it, but also, of course, with feelings of grief and sadness for leaving a wonderful community behind, the family and kids that I've served and taught uh, for the past couple of years at Ascension Episcopal School, which has just been wonderful. And so we will, I will, we will indeed, Rachel and I will indeed uh, miss this community. Uh, and so this, like any change and transition, comes with all those mixed feelings. Uh, but I have, we are very excited about what lies ahead and the opportunities. And so um, enough, of, enough of me talking here. We will go ahead and get on with the episode. And uh, very excited to have Dave on. God bless. Hi, and thanks for tuning in to Doth Protest Too Much, Keeping the Reformation Alive. I'm Andrew. We got Stephen and James with me as well today. And also we have guest author of the new hot-selling book, Low Anthropology, Dave Zoll. So welcome, Dave. Thank you, Drew. Thank you. Yeah, um, we're excited to have you on. Hot-selling. I'll take it. Um, Is it best-selling? I don't you know, know what even like constitutes best selling because I feel like there's different lists and stuff, you know. 
Well, Amazon does this very shrewd thing where they just create tiny categories where everyone can have it's like the participation trophy of book releases. So like everyone becomes like the number one bestseller in a minute. So I, I think today I'm still the number one bestseller in Christian theological anthropology. So Christian you know, theological. <laughs> I got that going for me. <laughs> Put that on my gravestone. Yeah. There you go. Christian theological anthropology. And I, and I was about to ask what are the categories? Are there other, any other uh, sub genres you're put into? Uh, I mean, the metadata is like, you only have so much control over it. I don't, I don't think, I'm pretty sure our publisher didn't choose those categories, but it's also sure. in maybe uh, spiritual formation or the seculosity. My previous book was in, was always in Christian social issues. It was, it was always okay. going up against the guys from Duck Dynasty. And, uh, <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm sure you fared pretty well against them. Oh my gosh. Uh, they were toast. Forget <laughs> it. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, that's so. Uh, for our listeners, I uh, gave a little brief intro in the beginning, but Dave Zoll is the founder and editor of Mockingbird Ministries and the editor in chief for their website. Uh, he's based in Charlottesville and has served since 2010 as the college and adult education minister and lay preacher at Christ Episcopal Church in Charlottesville. He's the author of numerous books, including A Mess of Help, Crucified Soul of Rock and Roll. Seculosity, How Career, Parenting, Technology, Food, Politics, and Romance Became Our New Religion, and What to Do About It, <laughs> Long Gospel of Theology for Sinners and Saints, and his latest book, which we'll be discussing today, Low Anthropology, The Unlikely Key to a Gracious View of Others, published this year through, I always mispronounce this, is it Brazos? Uh, I've always heard Brazos, but... Brazos. Um... I don't yeah, know. Dave Nelson, who used to be an editor, he's been on the podcast, but now he's with Baylor. But yeah, Brazos, they have good Bible commentaries and stuff, from what I've read. Mm. Uh, so Dave, thank you for being here. I'm excited to dig into some of this book, uh, what your reasoning behind kind of writing it. I'm really curious about like your reasoning behind the impetus of why you wrote the book. Um, there seems to be kind of an undergirding message to really all you do. And that message, which I won't spoil what the message is, I want to hear from you, though I think this podcast very much shares that message. But that message is central to the mission of Mockingbird. We've discussed Mockingbird uh, here and there on Doth Protest. We've, we've had a couple guests uh, in the past who've written for them. But we have the founder on today. So I'm mm. curious, and I, and I think our listeners are too. We'll start with Mockingbird. What led you, and I, I mean, really, what was going on externally, internally, as much as you want to share your, your journey that gave rise to this ministry? And what is this ministry about? Well, there's a lot, like anything that you start or that gets started, there's a lot of different things that going into it, some of which are sort of like the public story, some's like the private story. I'm, I'm, I'm transparent about it. It was is a mix of a bunch of different things. So... Uh, first of all, I personally, I had been a youth minister for five years in boarding schools and was sort of ready to move on to that partially because I was engaged and, uh, wanted to continue doing ministry. But at that point, my tradition, which I was brought up in the Episcopal church, um, and, uh, that my older brother, I think was in seminary at that point. My father was part of a seminary. He was running a seminary and just, it was the height of the, um, just meltdown and fighting in the Episcopal church that I, I is honestly just not nearly as present, partly because like a, a lot of people just 
pieced out, but it was 2005, 2006 was a miserable time. So I, I knew people on all sides of the various questions. And, um, you know, most of it was about sexuality, but it was also about the Bible and um, property was involved and um, you know, history and liturgy and all these things. Everyone was miserable. Everyone hated it. It was just like, I was like, why would I want to do this with my life? Um, it, it, I, I kind of, the timing just didn't work out. And so I thought, well, is there anything else we could do? Um, and uh, I had a bunch of friends, some of whom were on the ordination track or ordained. And uh, we had the, the hubristic notion that Christianity in America was far too legalistic and needed some reformation, needed some, uh, these are mostly young men who'd been gripped by the, uh, by the grace of God. And I would say, for this sake of this podcast had been had been gripped by reformation distinctives but distinction between the law and the gospel the bondage of the will justification by faith uh you know by grace alone through faith alone that's was a major major thing and we wanted to start an organization that could freely and without getting bogged down in ecclesiastical um uh, you know waters or quicksand I could just sort of be nimble and 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 just see what we could do in terms of trumpeting that voice or amplifying it. Um, I also wanted to continue doing ministry in person, and so thought, what would it be like to start an organization that sort of was really founded on along these lines? Mm-hmm. And so we had some um, I had some resources because of working as a youth minister and having to raise my own support, and I had friends, and we had a little small little board. And we had some opportunity in New York City where my wife was, where my wife to be was living. And so we just decided to try a bunch of things um, and see, see what stuck. And it, if you look back, not only was it the, a difficult time in the Anglican Episcopal world, it was, it was sort of an exciting time on the internet and people were blogging and it was the explosion of that. My wife was part of a magazine, a print magazine that was dying, like all print magazines, because new media was just exploding. And um so part of what we had started with Mockingbirds, we did start a, a blog, you know, on, on uh, Blogspot. <laughs> and back um, in the day, yeah, back in the day, this is 15 years ago, and just saw what's what stuck. You know, did some publications, some conferences, and I think the seed of Mockingbird was really started out of a group of people, mostly Episcopalians, who were looking to um, do. Uh, ministry outside church walls that was sort of centered on the grace of God um, and for, where they couldn't be, didn't have to be bogged down uh, by culture wars and uh, had some agency, I guess, or uh, lack of authority. I don't know, however you want to charitably or uncharitably look at it. So that's how it started. And, you know, what it became is something entirely different and uh, the mockingbird, the name, by the way, it it is it proceeds from like a mockingbird is um, repeats the song it's heard. So, we, we, or there's a foundational understanding in mockingbird that the gospel is not something we ever graduate from. I mean, the forgiveness of sins, you know, that the absolution of the sinner. This is not something we ever, uh, um, yeah, that we ever sort of. Uh, exhaust and so like a mockingbird would repeat the song we've heard over and over again hopefully not in irritating ways but that's the that's mm-hmm. the basic history there's lots more i could go into but that's how yeah. it started well that experiment you and a few other like-minded people came to is has been a has developed and evolved into something that i think is a blessing to many 
myself to thank you. Um, and it's interesting how you talked about culture, and I know Mockingbird has kind of a pop culture commentary component to it. And, and, and a little later, uh, maybe we have time we can get um, into that. I know you know you, you. This is all now back in the day. It's like that late two thousands, early twenty tens kind of period, and it's funny because when you say kind of that what culminated into you being in a place starting Mockingbird and all that uh, followed years of strife and infighting in the Episcopal church. And we're, you know, it, uh, it's interesting because I'm seeing kind of that gap that I experienced. I mean, you were, you know, I'm not bringing up age and stuff, but we got the Gen Xer here a few, year, few years older than me and where I am at in my life ministry. Mm-hmm. During that kind of period where uh, there was a lot of the infighting, I was kind of out of the church. I mean, I was, I was in a, my late teens yeah. when the infighting in the Episcopal Church over sexuality was going on. This is like mid to late 2010s. And, um, you know, all that's going on. And I was pretty much absent from it. And I came back to the church in my early 20s, early to mid 20s. And I've shared deeper details, personal details about that in other episodes. Um, but by the time I was back, um, I found very much uh, a hegemonic flavor to a lot of like, you know, church uh, events and conversations and discussions and panels that part of me, and it's weird because you'd probably be like, oh gosh, I'd never want to revisit those days. But part of me would be like, you know, what? to have some diversity of thought or opinion would be nice to have like oh my gosh, like, uh, uh, I missed all those infight. not that fighting's good, not that, uh, you know, because mm-hmm. I've heard ugly stories, just antagonistic stories of those days on all sides of pe- just, just people and um, uh, it, it just mean-spiritedly mean at each other's throats over those issues. Mm-hmm. Part that's understandable is because those, those issues re- really run deep, but uh, you know, part of me is like, gosh, I missed the big debate. And now everyone's like, not wanting to have a debate about anything, because mm-hmm. it's all, you know, just keep the peace. We don't want to fight. Anymore. So which I understand, too. So it's just interesting seeing the kind. I don't know where I was going. Do you have any thoughts? on? Oh. That? <laughs> well, I mean, I just would say that I'm personally not a fighter. Like, I don't, yeah. um, I, I find I'm much more drawn to unifying people. Um, and yet, you know, I I find all the self righteousness that that, that in, is involved on all sides of of having to stake a bunch of bunch of plant a bunch of stakes in the ground is um is really unavoidable, and I, I find yeah. it to be lamentable. And I, naively or not, we hope that Mockingbird could sort of be somewhere where we just get get on with the ministry in a, or at least talking about the gospel mm-hmm. and you know that that sounds condescending because it's like for, for people who care deeply about things that divide the church like they think they're caring deeply about the gospel so i don't want to talk down but I, I i certainly think in myself i'm not constitutionally set up for fighting and um i wanted to carve out a space where we could um just see if it would could work where we could just sort of mm-hmm. uh talk about grace and get back to the the main things and you're right i was i was talking to a bunch of uh, pcusa pastors recently and they were saying um you know the truth is our 
our publications, once all the conservatives left, they, the, the publications got, uh, they all just sort of became, and these are all sort of, you know, people who are, who remained in that church. They said they all got very one-sided and one note. And when, when they, when the conservatives left, they, they, they took a lot of the, um, energy and the and certainly the diversity with them ironically enough and they also took a lot of the prayer <laughs> that's yeah. what they said and so they yeah. sort of had this wistfulness like they they don't want to revisit that and i'm sure you know there's all sorts of i've i watched i watched everyone on both sides of these things misbehave in every conceivable way mm-hmm. um and i just it was more just a human thing for me. It's like, I just watched it. It's like, why do I want to, I don't want to do this. Like it's, if I can serve God in other ways, I'll do that. Um, And I see that in Mockingbird. I I mean, like you, I'm, I'm, I've gotten the nine of the Enneagram test. I used to not like the Enneagram. I'm kind of warming up a little more to the, Mm. to the idea that it might be good to, you know, to see where your core is and your orientation. (laughs) But uh, you know, I've gotten that on the two of the three times I've taken the Enneagram. So that's kind of part of my skepticism of it. <laughs> I've gotten the uh, nine, which is the peacemaker unifier. That's part of why I like having, you know, let's get all the sides involved and make peace. That's kind of it. But um, Mockingbird is unique in that it doesn't kind of add to the flames of the culture. Uh, that it does have a central message um, that is not, that kind of transcends that culture war and that infighting. And that's the message of grace. And do you want to speak more to that? Yeah, it's my fondest, uh, you know, I'm, my proudest thing is that Mockingbird is a, you know, in some ways we're a very small tent. In some ways we're a very big tent. We've got people who feel very differently about any number of political and social issues. I mean, trust me, it's it really runs the gamut. And we've lost folks for that reason, just the discomfort of being with someone who, 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 uh, uh, you know, if, if, if anyway, we, we, we but oh, while well, we are a small tent in the sense that we're all kind of people who believe in justification by faith. And that's not a very, uh, and, and, and some kind of uh, substitutionary atonement. And that's not sexy or fashionable in uh, mainline churches. And so um, there's a, there's a theological eccentricity to us, which I think allows us to be slightly uh broad uh but it's still an eccentricity um the 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 message of of that mockingbird is interested in i'm interested in in myself i'm interested in translating the sort of core truths of the bible and of the christian theology into sort of everyday experience in everyday life and those core truths that i'm speaking about is that human beings are uh profoundly in need of help and in 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 pain, sometimes much of their own making, and that we are uh, need God. <clears throat> Excuse yeah. me. And that uh, and then the secondly that God is not only real but God is gracious, and his fundamental revelation is in Jesus Christ, which is, you know, uh, the shed blood of Christ and Him crucified. So it's like those, and how that that works out in the life of a believer is usually through some some experience of. Uh, redemption through the, the the you know the um forgiveness of sins mm-hmm. and so i that those things i think i i people say oh that's um that certainly sounds like a traditional view but i've got plenty of people who are uh, you know theological or 
social progressives who sign to every aspect of that. And I have people who are, you know, social conservatives who, who, who agree with every aspect of that. And so to those who say, you know, you cannot coexist or this doesn't transcend, you're just like, well, I mean, I sort of feel like Mockingbird is some kind of proof that it can and yeah. that uh, people are, are drawn to the existential dimension of what we're talking about um, that takes uh, suffering and sin very seriously, but also takes the cross uh, unbelievably seriously as well and ourselves not seriously almost at all. Yeah, I think it's a matter of focus. I mean, if you go to a football game, it's not divided between liberals and conservatives. Yeah. People are in jerseys and they're screaming and they're passionate and they're all on the same team because they're focused on this one aspect of life yeah. and not all of the other ones. And the ability and, and the focus you guys have on we're gonna we're gonna make the gospel the number one thing. That's what we're gonna talk about. That's what we're gonna write about. Yeah. Um, that that allows, I think, uh, as part of what allows you to kind of sidestep so much of this the, the culture stuff that's divided so many people. Mm-hmm. But but you also. Mockingbird also has the propensity for for pissing off both sides too, because the gospel is is scandalous. Like the the reality that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, by the work of Christ alone, mm-hmm. is scandalous. Like that's actually something that unifies many conservatives and and progressives um, against something like Mockingbird, because yeah. they'll they'll misquote Bonhoeffer and say that you're preaching cheap grace, or they'll say you're just being, you know, Casper milk toast about the issues that are at hand, the issues of the day. Yeah. And I think that means that you're doing it right because you're not centralizing the, the adiaphora. Or mm-hmm. I, I don't want to I don't want to demean the arguments because I have my own positions on these two, but but rather you're centralizing the thing that is central, which is the saving work of Christ. Um, well, thank you. I think salvation is not a dirty word and it's actually a very, very hopeful word. Yeah. And there's some people that, you know, you think, you think the very, the possibility of forgiveness is like insulting somehow, but yeah, I, uh, I would say that's true, James. I mean, I don't, I mean, I don't know how helpful it is to talk at the larger Mockingbird project without sounding vastly self-important because it's a small thing and it's you know it's eight people you know it's 15 years I, we've put a lot of work in but it's not it's not the the biggest deal in the world but i would say that we get um equal maybe not equal i say our harshest critics always come from the right um and our uh but we also get a lot of uh, critics from the left as well mm-hmm. so sure. it's um and and that's changed over the, the years sometimes, but I would say by and large, you can be so outflanked on either side. And yeah. I've never felt, it's so funny when, whenever I hear, whenever I get a, 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 a you know, a, a super conservative telling me I'm a coward or that we're not talking about such and such and such, and you'd be like, well, let's, let me talk to these progressive critics of mine. Cause they seem to think the very opposite's true. And like, I, <laughs> Like if you actually knew what I was dealing with and, and, and the same with the people on the left, you'd be like, well, you guys, you guys sound just conservative. And you're like, well, let me tell you what the conservatives actually think of us. They, they don't like us at all. Like I, I, it's, it's, um, it, you sort of feel like you're writing yourself out of an audience, you know, but I, I find that there's an exhaust, what do they call it? Like the exhausted majority or the exhausted middle. Um, and maybe that's where we can live. Although the, our understanding of the grace of God is, is not 
uh, moderate. It's very radical. So, um, yeah, the, the 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 landscape's always shifting too. You know, like what right. was the way that these things, the the way that it looked 15 years ago, it looks differently now. And some would say the internet like accelerates church uh, struggles and whatnot. Um, I ultimately find most of it is like. I mean, maybe rearranging chairs on the Titanic is too strong, but it's 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 a lot of like I'm I'm tr we're trying to address the world, and if if I'm getting crossfire from the church, it's it it becomes less and less important to me every year because it's like I'll just say the crossfire matters less and less to me every year as I see like the world itself suffering so much and in need of the grace of God and any kind of hope or meaning. Um, that the inter inter Christian battles feel more and more like a distraction. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and and it, it was fine. I like how you talk about moderateness too. I mean, political centrism or social centrism can be its own idol and its own kind of extreme in a way too. So mm -hmm. um, I, I like how you you know the emphases of Mockingbird, and I'm going to use this as a segue to get to lower anthropology. The emphasis in Mockingbird are on justification by faith, which is the theological way of saying that God saves us through the blood of his son, Jesus Christ, by, and that salvation comes by no effort of our own at all, because there's nothing we can do to save us. And despite whatever you've done, whoever you are, Jesus loves you and he accepts you. And that apart, that part, may offend some, but it is definitely, I think, would, would be appealing to the progressive side of mainline Protestant Christianity, because it's about acceptance, right? And mm -hmm. It's about love. Uh, and that acceptance, that love is real. And then on the other end, your other emphasis is on the, um, I forget how you put it, but the, our need for a savior, basically, that we are fallen people and that we are um uh face with we we have limitations and also that we come with um inherent uh, uh frailties which i think could maybe appeal to certain people on the right who get um you know uh who look at very optimistic projects especially in like political realm and say wait, wait, wait hold on so yeah i think like there's it can equally uh, it, it transcends the language of our culture wars and our political battles the message of the gospel and i think there's something from people on all those different leanings and dispositions to find that in a way may affirm them but it's also going to offend people on all sides as well and that's why the gospel cannot be um domesticated into a cultural or political project um mm. which brings us on that note of the fallenness of humanity <laughs> to low anthropology which is the title of the book i have heard and i'll let you speak to the origin of this term but i heard your it was originated by someone in the ring. uh but what you tell, I guess you could tell us the history of the, where the word comes, the term comes from, but also tell, define it for us. What is low, this is the title of your book, Low Anthropology. What is the, what does low anthropology mean? Well, uh, low anthropology is, so I'm using anthropology in the theological 
or philosophical sense, it refers to your operating view of human nature. Uh, so what does it mean you mean when you say I'm only human? Or what, what are the presuppositions you have about what human beings are good at and not good at or capable of, incapable of, et cetera, et cetera? So a low anthropology, which the, the phrase was was coined by my father. I, I I didn't know that until I started writing the book. And I asked him, like, where did you, you know, I've, I've heard, you know, people talk about an Augustinian anthropology or a Pauline anthropology or, you know, a Marxist anthropology. But like, where did you hear, use the phrase low anthropology? Where did you get that from, dad? And he said, he like paused. And he said, well, son, you know, come to think of it. I think I, I actually came up with that. And I thought to myself, that, that sounds right. So a low anthropology is what is my euphemism for a biblical or Christian or Augustinian uh, anthropology view of human nature. And it is not a euphemism for original sin. Uh, it includes that, but it is not a euphemism for people are bad, though it sort of doesn't shy away from that. A low, low anthropology, I talk about it as being having to do with three pillars. First of all, that we are limited. We, we are all have limitations. That's another translation of the sort of creatureliness that we are. There's a God and we are not we are not him. We're not he. And uh, so um, that that no one can know it all. No one can do it all. No one can be it all. Our, 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 our time, even itself, biology, these things place hard limits on us. We all need to sleep eight hours, you know, or at least eventually, even if you're Keith Richards. Um, and so that there's no moral component to that. There's no judgment to it. It's just simply the truth of, of, of our life and these bodies of ours. Uh, and um the second pillar is doubleness, which is my way of talking about the bondage of the will, um, which the sort of uh, Lutheran Protestant understanding of the will being something that's bound, uh, that we're not free to, we might be free to choose between white socks and blue socks or to eat, you know, Mexican food or cheeseburger for lunch, but we're not free to love God uh, for the right reasons. And we're not free, the, the higher the emotional import gets on any given subject, the less actually free freedom you experience when it comes to those things. So there, the, this is the Roman seven understanding of life that everyone's a jumble of competing motivations. And um, uh, we pretend to be primarily emotional creatures. Uh, that the, I, the 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 great Cranmerian anthropology is one I borrow from Astley Null. That what the heart desires, uh, the uh, will chooses, and then the mind justifies. That's so you're saying we are not free on our like we there's no ability for us in our in our quote free will. Mm -hmm to do actually true good, like good in the eyes of God. Like we don't have that power within ourselves um, to will not, those things. Not to will them. I mean, we, that, the, the, to do good in the eyes of God is to do the right thing for the right reason, which is out of love. And human beings do those things. <laughs> it happens, but it never happens by a conscious choice of sort of in order to do, because once you're doing something in order to do something like that, you're no longer doing it out of love, you're doing it out of obligation. And, um, and, and uh, I'm convinced that the, uh, the ethical engine of the Christian faith is, is gratitude and repentance and um, all these historical truths. But Yes, I would say that people are bound up and you could, the way I just you just translate into like everyone's tied in all sorts of knots. No one really understands what they're doing. And if you expect people to be rational 
creatures making reasonable decisions all the time, you're going to come to hate them because, and, or yourself, uh, because no one acts that way. Um, no one just, oh, this is the right thing to do. Okay, well, then I'll do it. You know, um, I, there was a cartoon I, I posted today on Mockingbird of two koala bears talking to each other. And one says to the other, he says, I, I've decided I'm going to start making my life better instead of worse. And the other koala bear says, well, why were you making it worse? And then the other koala bear just like says, mm, I don't know. Right. <laughs> yeah. uh, the, the third pillar of low anthropology is self-centeredness and sin uh so that there's a dark side to human nature that is just that again is written into the written into the code somehow um the physics of it or the origin of it is, is of less interest to me than the sort of empirical fact of it and uh so this is our low anthropology that we are um cre yes created in the image of god which is what everyone always wants to lead with um but that we have limitations and our willpower is 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 also captive and um especially when it comes to the big the big things and that uh we all have a, a shadow self you know that there's some um, my kids just want to sometimes inflict pain on one another and i just it's not necessarily socialized so that's what a low anthropology is it's a picture of people in need of help from one another but ultimately from god not just help they need intervention and new life resurrection so uh the book is an attempt to catalog the ways in which such an understanding which sounds insulting or negative actually bears all sorts of beautiful fruit in the here and now um and ultimately is a precursor to, to the great force for good in the world which is god and so faith is what comes from a low anthropology because uh, if you know it's only yeah. the, uh, the 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 sick who need a doctor. It, it brought up to me, and that's, that's Jesus is saying is it's it's uh, it's the sick that need a doctor. Um, but it, it brought up to me like there, there's common objections I hear when people object against original sin, or they object to the idea that humans, humanity left to their own devices is a helpless species. Mm. What they object to it is like how could you like think of us so low and humans so low and like do you watch the news? Do you, have, do you turn on the news? What kind of news do you get? Granted, the media likes to focus on the negative, but the fact that the negative that is there, even if it's the minority of human affairs going on, mm. is so depraved and so bad, right? Uh, isn't that a just literally a sign in the real world going on in front of you that humans uh, are imperfect? And then the other objection I get when, again, this kind of gets into the Catholic versus Protestant debate, but, you know, that the question of you know good works contributing to our salvation are good works contributing to our salvation like okay so you're just saying you can get into heaven without good works so like um you know jesus saves you and you can just like do whatever you want with that and not have to worry about doing good things well part of me is like well someone who's really been genuinely saved and hears the gospel is compelled mm -hmm. to do good things but that's besides the main point is if you have to do good things and good works in order to enter heaven then you're doing those like you said you're doing those good things you're doing those good deeds and those loving deeds for yourself in order to save yourself from the fires of hell so it's not about the person you're actually helping it's about you, you know? yeah rather than your neighbor or god <laughs> right <laughs> i i i i mean i I'm with you. I, I think like, again, it's the difference between walking through life 
disappointed and embittered that people act the way they do <laughs> and that you act the way you do, if you're being totally honest, and, or being going through life being in awe of how much great and beautiful and good things happen in spite of the fact that I am what I am and what people have done to me and what I watch them do to one another. Like, let's, it's, it's, a, it's a completely different radical, um, I think, unburdening of expectation that also puts the onus on God to be good and to God to, to hold to the promises. Uh, and r rather than uh, you and I needing to summon up some, um, uh, the, the, some free will muscles that, that are, that are long since atrophied. So it's, I, uh, I'm, we live in a culture of high anthropology that views people as this, like this or like that, those kind of people. And that just blames everyone for not living up to our, understanding of what human beings are capable of and you know it's like we always when we fall in love we tend to fall in love and we, we believe that the other person is better than we are you know we we uh we that they are um we get really disappointed when we find out they're just as human as we are but that's also where real real love begins like that's where you, no one feels loved when it's simply just like they're feeling worshipped. You know, how many girls do I remember who like ran screaming for the hills because they could sense that I was trying to worship them or trying to I had I, I like thought too highly of them, putting them on a pedestal when they just actually Ooh. wanted to be loved and to be loved is to be known and to be known is to be known in your weakness, not in your strength or beauty. And it doesn't like preclude those things. But uh, this is simply the way that I think it's it's set up so so love is, is mixed up inextricably with weakness and the love of god it makes no sense outside of like a oh, while we were yet sinners christ died for the ungodly i mean that's the whole loaf right there it's not J jesus died for those who proved themselves worthy um or he died for those who, who who won respect of their peers it was it was much more what's attractive and 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 earth shattering, in fact, about this message of the gospel is that uh, God God sees us the way that the the, you know, the greatest love story ever told. It's true. It's like you see us in in full view of our inadequacy, and you don't turn your face away. That is grace. That is the change agent in the whole world, and it is ultimately the 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 power of God in our lives. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that, that's um just this this whole theology or a low anthropology is i think so meaningful for the life of the church and for the life of the world and one of the ways that i i will sometimes describe it to people who and i mean I, i'm not i'm not a perfect low anthropologist because i don't think one exists either because i, I <laughs> yeah, naturally <laughs> the whole point right here yeah. right I, I naturally um tend towards doubleness and self-righteousness and, 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 you know, waving my fist at my limitations. Um, but one of the things that I, I try and instill in, in my people when I'm preaching is that when we hear the, the hammer of the law, when, when, you know, the rich young fool comes to Jesus and says, what must I do to gain eternal life? And Jesus says, simple, keep the commandments. And then the guy comes back and says, done all that. No problem. What else? Of course, I think, man, that dude is super self-righteous. And then I think I also have done that myself. When the guy's response 
if he had a low anthropology and if we had a low anthropology would actually be wretched man that I am, who will save me from this body of death? And, and I think that one of the things that your book does is it tries to instill in, in layman's terms, that message that please recognize that we are all, we all fall prey to sin, mm -hmm. that we are all broken and in need of God's saving grace, that it doesn't matter what side of the political spectrum you're on, you still ultimately, these are my words, not your words, you still ultimately suck just as bad as I do. <laughs> and we have a savior in common who gives us salvation as a gift by grace through faith. And that is a remarkably honest take in a world that is so curated. Well, thank you, James. And more at least that's, I agree with what you're saying. I think the curation is the great, is such a wonderful word for attempt, you know, is like, it's just a comma. It's a euphemism, a contemporary euphemism for sort of looking to justify yourself by works of the law you know i'm curating what you see of me so that you only see the good the lovable or the 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 the, the appropriately vulnerable you know the, the like sort of casually fractured rather than the seriously problematic about me right um the the lovable you know it's it's a that kind of curation doesn't really do much for people it leaves them lonelier so you know guys i i haven't really you know i haven't really mentioned on on so far but the book was born out of yes a desire to translate what i would think is a christian anthropology and the way that i understand it to be of great comfort and and good news and a precursor to faith in all the important ways but i also saw the havoc that a high anthropology wreaks and like you james I don't hold this with uh, the part of being a low anthropologist is that you don't hold it with any consistency. Like you, you're, you're no less prone to it than other people uh, right. or uh, to uh, being hip, hip, hypocrite. But I saw a, an, an immense amount of burnout. I saw it among clergy. I saw it among people in churches. I saw it in middle schoolers and I saw it in, you know, young mothers and people in their sixties. People are living a life that demands too much of them, more than they're capable of. There's no sense of our actual limitations. And it's driving people crazy. And the other thing was that uh, everyone was so lonely. We just saw this, uh, you know, go go through the through the roof during the pandemic. But loneliness, especially among men, but among all people, I mean, men, male communities are probably the ones in which, you know, there's a special intolerance of weakness, at least on the front end. But the uh, social media informed world that, again, Silicon Valley didn't create this, but it certainly leverages it where we have to constantly parade our own virtue or our own shininess or our beauty or whatever have you, um, enviability, like that creates loneliness because you never are telling the truth about anything and no one feels loved when their profile gets liked. They feel a, a, a momentary boost of dopamine perhaps but because you know that that's not really you that's you know it's it's a fiction so high anthropology in that respect which views people as basically pretty great and or as as really defined by their achievements and their strengths um and and of the only limits are the ones you put on yourself you know um that the the fallout of that is not like neutral it's despair you know it's uh it's it's suicide it's um it's abject um 
misery. So I think a low anthropology, while it sounds a little bit bracing on the front end, is actually the doorway to uh, love and uh, unity and compassion and um, communities that, 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 that function on a low anthropology tend to be totally transformative in the most positive sense. And I'm talking about AA here, but I'm also talking about a really good church. But um, they are not places where everyone just whips each other, you know, with the, the the cords of recrimination, you know, the, or yeah. and shame. A, a struggle session. Well, that's what they called it in Maoist China. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sure. well, I, I mean, I can imagine the phrase, I thought I was the only one, right, would be one that pops up in people that come into these low anthropology communities. Because there is that. I was going to ask you, like, if people are so bad, then explain my Instagram feed, man. Like, yeah. explain why I look so good. Um, but uh i guess so going through these these three legs of the stool um i really i can't see much pushback at all on the fact that we're limited maybe the ways in which we're limited there could be some argument there but it's pretty straightforward the fact that we're selfish i mean i think i think everyone can accept and understand that and even the idea of doubleness we've all experienced that but my question is or one of my questions is um, why do we have to say as Christians that the good that we do isn't good? Why can we not just say that it's not good enough, right? Like, why do we have to say that it's not actually good? Why do we have to say that the good we do isn't good? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, as a Christian, I believe that once you start to categorize things that you're doing as good, you start to trust in yourself. And um, the, the purpose of uh, the Christian life is to trust in God. And the, the, God is interested in producing faith in people, I believe. And faith is what he's after, not in fact, even goodness. Like I think he's after faith is, I mean, that might not be the socially acceptable thing to say, but it looks like the Bible is like faith is what, 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 what creates, you know, and, and faith working its way out in love and all the, all that stuff. But people are, the more that the human spirit is such that the more good we do, the more tempted we are to trust in ourselves. Mm. And that, that is a project that actually produces less good in the long run because it thrusts a person into themselves and their own internal resources. And it actually turns them away from God and it turns them away from the surprise of the outside world of, of good, of, of, of the Holy spirit working in and through other people. Um, this is why, uh, you know, the, um, the, the transformative communities we're talking about, but namely the church and Alcoholics Anonymous, are have, uh, you know, acts of service are mandated not to earn God's favor, but because it sort of like takes you out of yourself a little bit. Um, and that is where we see all sorts of, uh, uh, the, the, you know, the condition from which we need to be saved is that sort of incurvatus in, in say, you know, the, the, the curving in that un- that doesn't allow us to not not only love other people but to even see them or acknowledge that they are as real as we are and so that's where i think um uh and and once you're also in the game of counting you know is this good how good is it what about this other good thing i did you're in the you're in the accounting uh department of life and which is a no win situation it's a, a balance sheet type of understanding of god which is um which I fundamentally think is uh, at odds with the Christian gospel. I mean, I think that people hear some of that and they're like, well, are you saying like, you know, it doesn't matter what you do. And I I think it it matters to your neighbors a great deal what you do. But when you're in the accounting department, 
the scorekeeping, you're sort of, it's its own logic that produces cruelty and justification and rationalization that we're, I think the, the gospel frees us from the tyranny of deserving, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think I was thinking about this question in terms of the good, the good or not good that other people do. Like I, I can certainly see looking at myself, I can see uh, ulterior motives and I yeah. can, even if I don't see them, I can be aware that they're probably there. Um, but I, do we have to, uh, are, we, are we bound theologically to impugn the motives of people we don't know that, uh, that apparently, uh, as far as we can tell, are doing things out of, out of the goodness of their heart for no reward and, and that kind of thing? Gosh, well, I mean, I think a low anthropology certainly removes us from the judgment seat. I mean, it's, it, mm-hmm. it says that, like, I don't really have my experience of other people, even the, the ones who appear to have it all together, is that there are chinks in that armor. And it's sometimes they're much bigger than you ever realize. You know, that's the experience of being in ministry. Okay. And um, that I, I also am no longer beholden to sort of weigh their merits uh, mm-hmm. as a as a as a Christian, I think I can appreciate their good works. I think I can hope that they have great motives, but it's not up to me to figure it out while also knowing that, um, you know, that I quote at the beginning, like a low anthropology is sort of don't try not to compare your insides with other people's outsides mm-hmm. because that's what we do. We, 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 I look at, I look at the good works my neighbors are doing and my response is seldom. Oh, hooray my response is usually why can't i be like that what's wrong with me that i'm not like that and a low anthropology basically says that everyone's an imposter in some respect that those works may be genuinely wonderful but don't be fooled into thinking that they're not a sinner just like you and um and that if you really knew the only reason you think they're so great is that you don't know them very well Mm. um but also if you're going to, if, if to know their weaknesses and their shameful things and their embarrassing things is the only way you're ever going to love them. Uh, it, you may, you may, you may not love them, but you certainly won't love them if you never know the full picture of their lives. So this essentially kind of eradicates passing judgment in, in the positive or in the negative. Um, I would say it, it, with God's grace. Yes. I mean, it's, yeah, it's over, not um, over the, over the person, over who they are, over the person, over the person. It's just yeah. not your, in your job description. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, but again, people hear that and they think, Oh, are you saying that there's no <clears throat> such thing as good and bad people? I mean, I, I, yes, I'm saying that there's no such thing as good and bad people. Right. Um, I think there are good and bad, terrible things that people do. Mm-hmm. I think the complicated thing about life under the sun is that quote unquote, good people are often capable of acts of extraordinary malice and short-sightedness and, and, and selfishness. And, and quote unquote, bad people are capable of acts of in, incredible beauty and uh, lasting love. You know, it's, it's, mm-hmm. it's, I wish it weren't the case, but I, I, I love that quote, by the way, I'm mm-hmm. going to use it. bad people are capable of incredible beauty and lasting love mm-hmm. it, it may be what you said i'm going to go back and listen to it anyways but um i have a uh this is not a gotcha podcast but i do have kind of a question i don't mean it to be tough but um it's kind of like a in knowing the reality of the world type of question how to uh, how to deal with this next thing i want to bring up um you talk about like not wanting to get into the accounting department of life but the fact of the matter is so much life is characterized by the use of metrics to measure. I mean, 
we, we get it into measuring productivity and um, which is needed for the sustainability of our economic life and everything. Um, and from my angle, I'm especially where my mind's at right now is when it comes to accountability um, as far as like character building. What I mean by that, you mentioned in your book about how you, you, you spent some time on burnout mm. and how burnout leads to despair. And I like how you really, uh, you pinpoint that this burnout, the burnout that so many in our, in our culture and in our society are experiencing that is leading to this despair. This burnout is not coming as much as you would think. It's not necessarily coming from social media. It's not from that overstimulation, though there's unhealthy aspects of that. It may not even necessarily be from overworking and busyness, even though that overworking and busyness is definitely a prevalent thing. Mm. But that burnout is traced to expectations. Um, expectations, whether external or internalized, um, my, my question, I guess, is are expectations good? Because, you know, I spent the last, um, all of my ministry up to this point, and uh, listeners who listen to my podcast know that my ministry is, is um, you know, they've had heard the news. My, I'm, I'm entering a slightly new ministry now, well, a very different new ministry in a different setting. <laughs> but my ministry up until this point has been in schools. Uh, I have taught high schoolers and middle schoolers. And as much as I've seen how kids growing up in this culture need grace, they really do. Mm. I want to full, fully say that. Um, what I'm saying, they need grace, but they are all, because they're in a merciless culture in so many ways, same ones that adults are in. But um, at the same time, when you're in the business of educating and bringing up the business, when you're in the, the vocation of that, mm -hmm. accountability is so important a lot of it for moral character development. And when you don't have that accountability piece of, you know, it, 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 and again, maybe this gets into, you know, there is a long gospel distinction that each play a role. There is, there's two kingdoms, right? Mm. Um, which we've done absolutely. But, but, you know, I've had to like lay down the law in a sense, and I've had to uh, admonish, you know, uh, you know, for the sake of people in their growth, young people in their growth to know right from wrong and to know, and to know that there are expectations uh, as much as I, as much as I fully get why expectation leads to burnout. Also, our, our, where does that fit in though? Our expectation is good though. You know what I mean? Is that yeah, too much? No, like no, of no. A, people think, a, are you saying there's no expectation is bad in every right. case? How, how do we, how do the lights stay on? How, don't we need policemen, you know, and don't we need traffic <laughs> right, right. lights and all this stuff? I'm not, I don't trying to argue for some sort of anarchy in, in any regard. I think, um, but when it comes to adolescence, by the way, having done a lot of youth ministry, I think it, it's not, it's not grace. If there's no um, sort of sense of uh, what, what the adolescent brain does oftentimes um if you're not careful, it hears, it hears talk about God's grace. And it's the, the, the response is like, Hey, you can't tell me what to do. I'm in my own God, you know? And that's not the contrite response of someone who's heard the grace of the God who's been forgiven. That is simply a childish kind of uh, looking for an excuse to kind of uh, for, to, to bless something they've already decided to do. Mm 
And I think that's, that's evidence of a low anthropology in a certain way, you know, kind of a, they're not like uh, teenagers are nothing if not lessons in doubleness. Like they, you know, you tell them to, what to do and they immediately want to do the opposite. So I think that, yeah, I think expectation, you need to be kind of careful with it. Cause I think um, in, in, in general, this book is written to those who don't struggle from a lack of expectation in their lives. They struggle with way too much and crushing expectations. So it's a slightly contextual answer to that question. Like if, um, uh, another way to put it is like, um, sometimes expectations can, can communicate love, you know, like uh, I could, I, I think very oftentimes if you're a person who's been told that they're not capable of anything good and that there's uh, do whatever you want is sort of a, a negligence, uh, you know, or indifference to, and then to tell kids, actually, I expect you, I think you can do this and I expect you to, what they're hearing is a kind of a confidence and a blessing. In fact, they're not hearing a condemnation and the role of a good coach, a good teacher is to find out when the line is crossed into actual condemnation and the one they need the word of grace. But for the, a, a young man, for example, on a football team needs to be told, you're going to be out here every day and you're going to be doing push-ups. And I believe you can do it. It's going to be hard, but you, this is, if we want to be, win this game, this is what's going to happen. And to a young man, sometimes that is an enormous vote of confidence, uh, mm -hmm. yeah. in, in fact. And that's not the same as the neurotic not enoughness that we receive by nature of a perfectionistic approach to life. But, but, but that same young man, when he's in his mid-20s and is told that uh, if he shows any weakness, that, that life is one huge football game, and if he shows any weakness or evidence of his uh, limitation, that he is uh, the only one who is that, like, that, 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 that he shouldn't and that he can't and that there's no mercy for him if he does, then you get into a, a different type of situation. So I think that's partly the, what I'm trying to say is sometimes what sounds like the law can actually be the gospel and, yeah. uh, and what sounds like the gospel can actually be the law. Uh, and to, to leave someone to their own devices so thoroughly at a young age is actually not a gracious thing and structure all that stuff uh, can be important. The, the wisdom and the burden of being a mentor type figure in any situation is knowing is having sensitivity to figure out where, right. you know, the two keys are uh, need to be turned. Does that that's that's my short uh, long answer to that. It's question. a beautiful answer. Thank you. I, I think that so that kind of connects to a part of low anthropology that I just I've it, it was it was a balm from my soul to read, which was low anthropology and religion. Mm. And one of the things that you did was not to give too much away, but you talked about the sort of quintessential experience of campus ministry in college where someone goes in and they they find the message of acceptance and the message of hope and the message that God loves them. They get inculcated and find that mainly what they get shortly thereafter is discipline. And so... Uh, by that, I mean, you know, like the reformed marks of the church, uh, word sacrament and church discipline, right? Mm. So it's the, or the, uh, the sociological um, model of believe, belong, behave, right? Right. And so um, 
I, I just, it, it really, it reminded me of several experiences that I had. I, I grew up as an evangelical Episcopalian. Most people on the podcast know that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so my dad's a priest. And, and so like we would do some things that were sort of American evangelical as a youth group that weren't always necessarily condoned by my dad, but the youth leader wanted to do them. And so we went to things like acquire the fire and I think I gave my life to the Lord like 10 times, but I kept wanting to take it back. And, uh, and, and, and uh, I remember in college, I went to a campus ministry that could be described as evangelical. And I, I just remember being there and feeling accepted. But then when we got there, much of the preaching was about how you need to do better and be better. Um, I remember also, uh, when I remember it's happened recently where um, a contemporary Christian music artist who was raised in a sort of non-denominational environment found the beauty of the liturgy and became Roman Catholic and recently has left the faith because of all of the things, all of the expectations that she felt and and probably some of the Roman Catholic perspective on infused righteousness and things like that that were utterly desolating. And so in all of that, what I'm saying is that is a message that very few people are willing to say that everyone needs to hear and ultimately that, that should be even in the midst of feeling like, like my stomach drop as I was reading it, because I remembered all of stuff that happened. It was also a a comfort, a, Mm -hmm. a, a moment of grace and mercy because it, showed that like hey one i'm not alone in this yeah two like this is not how god universally interacts with every single human being that like you better be better or else i'm not going to love you so so i i guess if there's a question in this it would be is there anything else that you'd want to add to that that you felt like wasn't able to pile into that immensely helpful chapter Thanks. Thanks, James. I mean, by the way, a lot of the I, I wrote this book with like, you know, just the general person on the street in mind. And I think that there can be a slight frustration that it's not quite Christian enough. Um, it, so so folks who are coming at it in the church or sort of from a with a lot of baggage should might. I, I've been told that they should read that chapter first to kind of catch a little bit of where I'm going with things, um, which is called low anthropology and religion. Um, yeah. I have a lot to say about this. I think that we, uh, the fervor and energy of the kind of uh, evangelical experience of religion is, is uh, by and large, uh, I think a really good thing. And uh, there's passion there. There's an understanding that this is for me, uh, that God cares about me. The, the relationship language can get really, um, co-opted into kind of like a dating God thing or a sort of tit for tat relationship kind of, I call you, you call me, and it becomes anthropomorphized majorly speaking. However, there's, there's a, there's a reason why so many people who are in ministry were actually converted through those ministries because they're effective in communicating the emotional gravity of the gospel where they always, or almost always falter is they adopt a high anthropology. Once you become a Christian and the, then the life of the Christian becomes a life of a new law, a new, and a very arbitrary one, often very, very one that's usually very focused around sex and uh, alcohol. Um, And that is what, 
that causes people to quote unquote deconstruct or just run away in in large large numbers. That's what high anthropology religion uh, devastates people's lives, and it it really is um, terrible uh, because the thing that drew you to Christianity, which is the grace and forgiveness of God, is somehow withheld from you once you become a Christian, or at least maybe not explicitly, but implicitly and culturally, it becomes a a new pressure cooker. Right, and wow. that. And that is a very, very pernicious, and it's it's a it's the reason why the Reformation, you know, it, 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 a lot of the Reformation can be traced to needing to root that sort of semi-Pelagian understanding out of the church, and for the sake of the gospel, and for the sake of, you know, because we're we're burying you know people uh, at funerals, you know, no one's talking about any of that stuff. You're you're talking about the forgiveness of sins and the resurrection, the dead, and uh, God's, uh, you know. The righteousness, the imputed righteousness of the the blood of Jesus, like those are the things that last. How well you were able to, you know, you know, not get drunk when you were in the, between the ages of, you know, nineteen and twenty-one, no one's thinking about. So, and that, that's not to say there's not drunk driving and people don't get hurt and scar each other up, you know, sexually and all sorts of things that youth ministers care about. But I find that the problem with the church is usually some form of a selectively high anthropology. Now that I, in my experience, the Roman Catholics do do this and Anglo Catholics do do it through sort of an infused righteousness and a kind of a churchiness, which I personally don't find very compelling, but I know that it, it can be helpful because it's usually lower wattage than the kind of, um, you're going straight to hell because there's always a, you know, <clears throat> when we just, when we just talked about the altar call that you were saved, you know, nine times, like, Technically, every service in a liturgical setting, every service is that same crisis of confession and absolution, you know, like, and that's why we're drawn to it just because it's not an altar call one time. It's every single week. Right. And so, um, but I, I find just in practice, there's more permission in a kind of a Catholic understanding of the world to be sort of lukewarm or to just be a total hypocrite or to, that there's, you can always go and confess, you know, mm-hmm. um, functionally speaking i i'm not theologically i'm very protestant but i find that the the way that that is the form that sometimes takes is like uh you have to be completely on fire for jesus and 100 percent committed and always getting better and more holy mm-hmm. every second of the day right. or else there's no room for you in this pack at all so everyone's like well then i just i, I just can't keep it up you know so right. i'm out right I, ironically protestantism culturally well even in, in theologically in some of the later strands has taken <laughs> has aired on much in much more high has been high higher anthropologists than a lot of catholics functionally so right um, well, and and going off of going off of what you're what you're saying here, and I have a similar background in terms of like I I grew up like a charismatic Pentecostal, mm-hmm. and so I've got a similar background to going to camp or going to these events and and having this experience. And for me, it was like I would go and my excitement and my energy was up, and my I I never wanted sin less, and I never wanted God more. And I left, and I, I felt like I had this little candle in my hand that I had to protect, and I was so worried. Mm. that it was going to get blown out, that I was going to fall yeah. down on my guard and I was going to lose it and have to come get it back again. And there's something comforting about um, that just being, hey, guess what? You're going to lose it. And you get yeah. to come back here next Sunday, you know? Yeah, yeah. rather than again. people assume, well, then the candle doesn't exist or it's terrible or something like that. No, the mm-hmm. candle's real. 
like mm. that that's that stuff is real it's just like, like the, the 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 human sort of construct that's put on top of that as like okay now little timmy you know you're 11 years old you better let that light shine or right. or else that's what's what's heard mm-hmm. and i used to think it's a straw man you know i won't be too hard on this sort of capital e evangelicalism but it's it's not unfortunately is very functionally the way that people were brought up but I sympathize. I mean, I, I I've heard that story so many times that it just breaks my heart. And um, but I when I think that the heart of the Christian faith is where you, the, the church or God is who you turn to when you failed, you know, mm-hmm. or when you can't keep it up, rather than the the last place you go uh, mm-hmm. with your shame. Yeah, Dave. I know we're our, our times. Uh, the, the time we gave you is coming to a close. Mm. And uh, it may last a couple more. I do want to do that fun round of questions. Let's do it, man. Um, or if there's but, another question, I'll take one more question. Let's do one more question. Uh, and yeah, and end on a note that's not shame, because I know it's kind of a note. <laughs> the last note we ended on. <laughs> it was a good note. Though. I don't have another question. Judge. Well, uh, let me, I'll just, I'll just say this. Uh, the, the, the hope of the book is what, uh, what you said when you said, I'm not the only one like this. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what I want to get across to people. I wrote a book and whether I succeeded or not, it's a different question, but I wrote a book because I wanted to, to um, take like three steps back from where s- some kind of Christian books start. And I wanted to say like, why is faith in God uh, compelling? Why would it be compelling or urgent in the first place? And that's what I'm trying to lay out. So my hope is that people feel recognized by by the by the book, and and in in that recognition, in a compassionate form that which takes into account all the pain and of life, um, that they would then be pointed towards like, well, see, as a Christian, I this is why I uh, this is where I turn to Jesus. Like I don't have any fancy, you know, you know, three point plan for you. Like I think that. The, the intervention of, of of God upon the the, the human race is where um, is, this is why I believe it's such good news and why I believe it's such urgent news. So I want to communicate, first of all, you're not alone in terms of you're not the only one who's like this. And that's the reaction I've, I've received from a lot of people. And I, I say that I've received that from, you know, women in their 70s, as well as uh, kids in their teens. That's what I want. I wanted that recognition of like, yes, this is actually what life is like. It goes further than sort of the enshrinement of vulnerability, qua vulnerability, because it sort of says uh, the, the, the confession that we're dying to unload of what it's like to be be me is met not with further condemnation, but with forgiveness. And um, that's where true hope lies. And so it's, it's, uh, I, I, uh, that's, that's what I want to leave people with. I don't want to leave them with a sense that, of their own inadequacies. I want to leave them with the hope that, that they're uh, uh, n- not isolated and uh, that, in fact, they are both known and loved. So it's, it's, it's an, again, it's, the book is hoping, hoping to convey some kind of grace to you and I and to make the case for why again why church why Christianity would be of any kind of appeal in a world that says that has painted it as yet another ladder to climb or another vehicle of shame when I feel it's the place to go with your shame right Dave thank you um this is a fabulous episode um 
Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me on. I, yeah. I know I've preached a little bit. I've had a long day, so I was maybe a little more well, sober. This, <laughs> you know, this was, um, you know, this is, uh, you know, you, you're not afraid to, um, you're not afraid to, to talk about these things. Um, and that's why I admire you and your book. Um, and that's why I think so many people are being drawn to your message, because um, you're not ashamed of the gospel. And uh, mm-hmm. you're really bringing it to us uh, in in ways that ordinary people that sounds kind of silly, but, but in ways <laughs> that everyday people, you know, in in a rather Christian or secular culture, uh, where it's really grace is being conveyed to them individually. So thank well, you, thank, um, thank you, Drew. Thanks, James. In yeah. our in our fun round, so uh, I've seen you like pictures. You post a lot of pictures on Instagram. Speaking of social media, and our fictional image but i think this is authentically you because i've seen like a bunch of pictures on instagram you and your book tour and i've seen you in like three different kiss shirts so my <laughs> question is who is your favorite member of the band kiss <laughs> ace ace freely no question oh my gosh that's literally my favorite one too and in fact drew yeah about to, to blow your mind uh, yeah, an Ace Freely action figure. I'm sorry, our listeners, we don't do video of this. Um, we could. I mean, it's hanging right behind me. Ace Freely action figure. Uh, Dave just showed me. Um, I will admit that Kiss is an. I, I've all. I I used to be embarrassed. I don't. I think Kiss is an objectively, objectively not a good band. So sorry to, but I think the idea of them is fun. And, oh, uh, they're 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 terrible, and that's what what's so great. <laughs> that's one of, one of the reasons it's so great about them. I host a podcast called the, the Well of Sound, which is a music podcast that has nothing to do with religion, or at least outside of what everything has to do with religion. But <clears throat> our podcast on Kiss is the most the funniest thing. It's like if God, if 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 like uh, if a, if a teenage boy can be uh, you know ministered to by those buffoons, like then maybe he can <laughs> I think. Well, yeah. But I will say objectively, Ace Freely is a is a pretty good guitar player. I mean, he's you know he's good. He has his um, moments. Let's put it that way. Yeah, he has his moments. He has his um, moments. All right. Good. Um, I don't know if good can be applied to anything in the Kiss world, except any for thoughts repair. on Kiss from James or Stephen before we move on to the next round question. <laughs> um, and it, Kiss does not stand for Kids in Satan's Service. No. <laughs> Those big E evangelicals made that up in like the 1980s. That's not true. The it's it actually means keep it simple and stupid because that's what their music is. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, next fun round question if you could go back in time and have a conversation with Luther or Calvin, which one and why? I mean, I Luther, no, no question. Like, I would, uh, I think he'd, uh, I think Calvin would probably talk longer, but I think Luther would, <laughs> would say more objectionable and like uh, offensive things. He might even insult me to my face. So like I, I think it'd be um, he'd be less polite, but it would be uh, uh, it would be real. worth the trip, shall we say? <laughs> right, right. Love it. What about, what about James and Stephen? Curious said you're Luther or Calvin if you had to go back. I think I know both your answers. <laughs> I, I, it would, for me, it'd be Luther, just because I've been asking so many questions recently. It'd be nice to just go straight to the store since I'm bothering everybody else. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I would, I would say Luther too. I think it'd be a fascinating conversation with Calvin, but I think it would end up 
coming to blows because uh, Calvin <laughs> and I disagree about some things. Um, but but yeah, definitely Luther. Um, I, I I would be incredibly lucky and blessed if Luther would insult me. Um, the Luther insulter online is just is is yes. That's comedic one of gold. The, yeah. One of the great uh, invent you know inventions of the internet. Right. <laughs> If people don't aren't aware of that but no luther in, in in all seriousness luther because luther is so foundational to my understanding of of the gospel um but it's because luther understands paul correctly and anyways <laughs> we got um, you <laughs> yeah the next question i have to well it's kind of two because i have to find out first do you collect those pop funko vinyl the the people with the big heads I have a box. bunch of them. Let's put yeah. it that way. I, yeah. it, only because I know you're so, I mean, I'm looking, I know our listeners can't see your video, but I'm seeing like comic books and Star Wars stuff all over the Now background. you can see here. You want to see my. Well, I was about to ask you. Uh, it's, is that Axel Rose? That's Axel Rose, the Funko Pop. I've also have about Morrissey <laughs> behind me. So Morrissey. I was about to ask you what what is the most interesting one you have? Morrissey, I didn't know they had Morrissey. There's a Morrissey is probably well, Axel Rose never licenses his appearance, his image to anyone. So it's like um a miracle that this Rare, exists. You know, yeah. you can find I've got a, a slash action figure behind me that you know slashes on everything. You'll never see Axel anywhere, but here he is with his bandana. So that's yeah. probably my favorite. But the Morrissey one is of him in Smith's era, and I, I happen to prefer solo Morrissey, but he's got uh, the gladiola uh um flowers hanging out of his back pocket, which he used to have on like performances when he was young and you know, pretentious. So it was so. James and Steven, do you have any, or are we the only nerds here? Uh, I, I've got a hefty collection of comics, but no no Funko Pops. My uh, wife wouldn't let me collect them. <laughs> I, I had a couple uh, that I I won, or my wife and I both won some at like a trivia night. They were giving them away. Oh, nice. Uh, yeah, Which so one's the most interesting that you got? I don't know who they are, and I gave them to my sister and brother-in-law who collect them. So. Okay. <laughs> Like here are these plastic dolls. If you guys seem to like, <laughs> I I, uh, I only have four. What do you uh, got? My well, my most interesting one is Miles Davis. Wow! And yeah. that's what I intentionally bought online. The mm -hmm. other three I came across over the time, mm -hmm. but uh, I wanted the Miles Davis one. So <laughs> interesting. Well, All right. Yeah, I don't know if it's official. It might be a bootleg one, but it's, it says Miles Davis. It's a mm. good one. <laughs> Um, and let me go get them. I mean, the listeners won't see, so I'll just edit this part out. But um, um, I was just—I was going to tell Dave that the uh, very nice. The, ooh, the, them in the package, yeah. That's late period miles too. That's like a on the on the corner miles. Yeah, Axel right. Roseman. When you showed it to us, it looked. I, I honestly thought it was Willie Nelson. Let's be honest. Um, <laughs> it did kind of look like Bill. It did kind of look like Willie Nelson. It's Axel um, in his his kilt wearing phase. You know, he used okay. to sometimes wear a catcher's like protector and a kilt uh, and a huge nice. bandana. It was an amazing look. So yeah, yeah. Next fun round question is the best. You know, this is this has to do with your work with Christ Episcopal. You're the best adult ed class you ever taught, like, or one you you enjoyed the most and like felt the most fed by. <sighs> Um, I taught a class on the Holy Spirit on the um, during the pandemic. Uh, my specifically my younger brother, who's a theology professor in England, he wrote a book called uh, "The Holy Spirit and Christian Experience," and I taught a whole class on it. And it was 
you know, Episcopalians never talk about the Holy Spirit. Um, I hadn't really, you know, I'd avoided certain elements of it. We, we, we all associate it with various things, but it was really, I went to the, the, I taught about the history of Pentecostalism and Azusa Street and all that stuff. And mm-hmm. I found it to be um, remarkably uh, fructifying, shall we say. I've, I've taught I've taught I've taught plenty of other courses I, I taught one up on the Apostles Creed that I um, was very happy with too mm-hmm. yeah actually I wrote a paper on Azusa Street uh, uh, in college and I one of the things I thought was interesting about it like because that happened in really close proximity to the earthquake uh, the San Francisco earthquake talk about like getting people to church <laughs> we had a move <laughs> of God right after the world comes to an end um, but that's a fascinating, fascinating story, fascinating time. That's a uh, yeah. And Stephen used that uh, when we we did an episode, yeah. <laughs> one of our first episodes. Yeah, he used his paper from college. Um, <laughs> cool, cool. Um, and the last question is, um, your currently your favorite podcast or podcast you've been listening to the most of, other than Doth Protest too much, of course. Mm. Course. and other than anything that you know because i know mockingbird is podcast we can't count this, but, but one that you're really into sure the one that i've gotten a lot huge kick out of uh just the last couple of weeks is this podcast called dead eyes have you heard about yeah. it it's with Ooh. this guy uh who's a named connor radcliffe who was a uh, extra or had a very small role in band of brothers um that you know spielberg and tom hanks did and he was fired for by Tom Hanks directly for having quote unquote dead eyes. And this is him like 25 years, 20 years later, like trying to figure out what on earth that meant talking to other people who were fired for reasons they don't understand. And, and, and this season, I haven't gotten there yet, but Tom Hanks actually comes on the podcast, but it's one of these things that oh, can wow. only, only exist in our time. And um, there's a lot of humor about and a lot of talk about just rejection and uh, the human condition, but uh, hmm. dead eyes, I, I recommend it. Nice. That I, and what's the music one you do? I'm gonna look that up. The Well of Sound. Well of we just sound. we just put out a that's my that's my favorite podcast to be honest with you because the guy who does it with me, they're like audio documentaries. Is we just put out a three hour episode about Meatloaf and Jim Stein <laughs> nice. and Jim Steinman. So it's like uh, we did a two part you know six hours about Genesis and Phil Collins and and these aren't necessarily my favorite artists uh, but there we have a lot of fun delving into all sorts of corners of it's highly produced so it takes a long time to do but I love that podcast nice. well for our listeners thank you for tuning in Dave thank you for being here this has been a very fun episode uh, a very good episode and uh, God bless everyone thank you guys mm-hmm.